Good morning, Vertical. It's great to be with you. Thanks to Pastor Josh for having me. I uh, hope he and his family are having a restful and relaxing time away. For those of you who are joining us on Facebook Live, thanks so much for being a part of this experience. We believe that God has gifts that he wants to give to us as a result of our time together. So let me pray for us and ask God to open our eyes and our hearts to his word. Father God, I thank you for the songs that we have just sung, the things about you that we believe are true. And Lord, to the extent that they haven't sunk fully into our hearts yet, I pray that you would allow that transition to happen, just from the things that we think about you to be the things that we believe about you in our gut. Go before us in our time together, Lord. Crack our minds and our hearts and our spirits open to your grace. If there's anything that would prevent us from receiving the gifts that you long to give, pray that you would remove them now in the name of Jesus by the power of your spirit. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. How many of you knew your kids at a holiday, like you had to sit at the kids' table? Anybody remember sitting at the kids' table, like you got stuck out, out on the porch or at a card table in the garage? And um, it was kind of nice because there wasn't a whole lot of supervision. You could kind of do whatever you wanted out there. Uh, so sometimes it was a blessing and a curse when you got promoted to the adult table, right? Some of you are going to get promoted to the adult table this Thanksgiving. Congrats. Well done. Good job. I remember one of my first times sitting at the adult table. I was sitting right here. My father was sitting at the head of the table. And how many of you know that sometimes adult conversations can be boring as all get out. Like, it's just not just not fun. And I remember one of the things I was doing to, to buy the time is my parents had these, these water glasses, these goblets, these blue goblets that we were drinking water out of. And I, but because I was bored, I decided it'd be fun to see if I could balance them in between my teeth. So, like, I just kind of put my mouth on there and lift it up. I know it was not a wise thing to do, but it seemed like a good idea at the time. And sure enough, I'm balanced, balancing it there between my, my front teeth for a second, and then sure enough, that thing breaks right in my mouth. And my father, without missing a beat, just reaches across the table, puts his hand in the back of my throat, and pulls out a fistful of glass, puts it on the table, and then continues the adult conversation. <laughs> Parents, how many of you have ever had to do an intervention with one of your children? Like, they've made a choice that was not smart, it wasn't safe, and you had to jump in to make sure they didn't die, right? And so sometimes that, that's what we as parents do. And what, I, what I'm realizing is as we talk about getting back to the basics, Every single one of us at certain points in our lives, we require a spiritual intervention. There are times where we find ourselves just through poor choices that we've made or just challenging circumstances in life where we end up biting off a mouthful of lies and we found, find out that we've got some glass in the back of our throats. And an intervention says, let's pull out what is not true so that you can live on what is true. So if you've ever sneezed, you, you know that there's this tradition that we have, at least here in the United States, when somebody sneezes, we usually say, God bless you. And I got really curious about that. I was like, what, is that, what does that mean to bless people? Where did that thing start? Well, apparently 600 years ago, when a pandemic was sweeping through Europe and people were dying by the thousands, the Pope said, if you hear somebody sneeze, because sneezing was one of the first symptoms that you had caught the plague and were en route to dying. So the Pope said, here's what we're going to do. Whenever you hear somebody sneeze, I want you to say to them, God bless you. So when that started, it wasn't just being polite. It wasn't something that nice people say. You know, like atheists can say to people, God bless you, because that's like the culturally appropriate thing to say. Back when that started in Italy, God bless you was a prayer of intervention. Basically, it was saying, may the power of God enter into your body and expel sickness so that you might live. Blessing was, God bless you wasn't a word of kindness. It was a word of life. It was declaring that the power and the truth and the beauty of God would reign over you and restore you wherever you were lacking. 
So this whole idea of knowing blessing, receiving blessing, and giving blessing is a basic that I think that unfortunately I have lost sight of too many times in my life. So when we look at the scriptures, we ask this question, when did God start blessing us? At the very beginning of the story. Genesis chapter chapter 1, verse 27 says, God created man and woman. Very next verse, verse 28 says, he blessed them and said to them, go forth, be fruitful, and multiply. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I just, I, I had always skipped over that part that says that he blessed them. I was always like, you know, God made Adam and Eve, and he's like, okay, now go do stuff. You know, like, go do stuff for me. Go be productive. But before God said any of that, he said, I bless you. We don't know the exact words that he used, but we know that the sentiment at Adam and Eve's, the very first part of their story, the very beginning of the story, God said, I love you. I delight in you. You belong to me. And that was the foundation for everything else that they did. Now, I don't know about you, but we, I, I've lived a good chunk of my life believing that I only had worth, I only had value, I only had dignity when I did things that were important and did them successfully. That my worth was directly proportionate to my performance. And if I was un, underperforming, then I was automatically unworthy. Let me ask you this question. When did God bless Jesus? He blessed him on the day of his baptism. Before Jesus started his public ministry, before Jesus did any miracles, before he did any exorcisms, before he raised Lazarus from the dead, what did God say to him publicly in front of a crowd of people? He goes, this is my son whom I love. I delight in him. I'm well pleased with him. Now, I don't know how many of you are parents, but I had, like, people had told me what it was like to be a dad in theory, but on the day that my daughter Grace arrived, it felt like everything changed. I remember driving home from the hospital in suburban Detroit saying, like, these flowers look brighter, the grass looks greener. I felt like my whole life just shifted from black and white to technicolor because it was different. Now, when we we delighted over Grace, let me ask this question. When she was 24 hours old, what could she do? Like, what could she do? Well, she could cry, she could eat, she could fill a diaper, and she could sleep. That was about it. And we thought she was amazing. How many of you know that if you're 34, all you can do is cry, fill a diaper, sleep, and eat? Nobody gives you any prizes. Like, people are not proud of you. Why? Because they expect more of you. But when you're little, what do we expect from you? Nothing. We delight in you because of what you can do? No. We delight in you simply because you are. Because you're beautiful and you're mine. And that's it. That's enough. That's how Adam and Eve's story started. They hadn't done anything of significance. They hadn't cultivated anything. They hadn't named any animals. They hadn't grown anything. They hadn't created any children. And God says, I delight in you just because I can. I delight in you because you're mine. I delight in you because you're precious simply as I created you. Friends, if we have never heard God bless us, or if we haven't heard God bless us in a while, then we are on the brink of living a life that is less than what he has called us for and created us for. When we lose sight of blessing, we lose sight of confidence, we lose sight of calling, we lose sight of anointing. Is it possible that if your story starts with blessing, the trajectory of your life is one of power and beauty and hope? But if along the way we get stuck in curses or if along the way we get stuck in negative views of ourselves, either that are born out of our own experience or born out of others, we get, we get, we get tangled in weeds and we can't run any longer. 
So here's, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that God's blessing matters, and our blessing of one another matters. Why? Because blessing tells us who we are. Blessing tells us who we are. When you bless somebody in the name of God, you're saying, you are a child of God, and you are loved by him, and you are co-creator with him. You are created in his image. The Dutch theologian Henry Nouwen says, to give a blessing is to say yes to another person's belovedness. To give a blessing is to say yes to another person's belovedness. It's as if you're saying to another person, God loves you deeply, and because God loves you deeply, I love you deeply too, because you are worth that. A blessing touches the original goodness of another person and calls forth what is good in them. Blessing tells us who we are. Blessing tells us to whom we belong. If the first part of blessing says you're not invisible, then the second part of blessing says you're not alone. When we're blessed, we're saying you belong to God, you belong to his family, and you belong to the history of the people of God. Listen to what we read in Genesis 48. It says, Jacob blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who's been the shepherd of my life all this day, the angel who delivered me from harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. When Jacob blesses his grandsons, he says, may they never forget that they are part of a larger spiritual legacy. May they know that their father followed me, their grandfather followed me, their great-grandfather followed me, and their great-great-grandfather followed me. Now, you might be somebody who's like, well, Steve, that's great for them. I, I'm, the first per, I'm the first generation in my family who's ever come to faith. My parents didn't walk with Jesus. My grandparents didn't walk with Jesus. My great-grandparents didn't walk with Jesus. We've got a really short spiritual legacy. I think what God wants us to know in blessing is that even if your biological family were not people who honored God, your spiritual family were people who honored God. So even if you're the first person in your family to come to faith, know that when you join the family of God, you, you, you can trace your spiritual lineage all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Because the people who have shaped your faith journey have gone before you. And their stories are to remind us that what? That God is faithful. That God is a God who delivers us from harm. That God is a God who calls us to surrender and obedience. And when we have examples of that in scripture, we remind ourselves, oh, I'm not just an isolated point of existence on the universe. I'm part of God's broader story. I have a legacy of faith. And even if it's not biological, it's spiritual. And blessing reminds me that I belong to the people and the movement of God. I'm not alone. So blessing tells us who we are. Blessing tells us to whom we belong. And blessing tells us where we are going. Blessing doesn't just speak to our present and our past. Blessing speaks to our future. Blessing reminds us that we're not done, that God is calling us forward in faith, forward in peace, forward into God's presence. Genesis 49 says that at the end of his life, Jacob called for his sons and said, gather around so I can tell you what will happen in the days to come. Blessing is prophetic. It doesn't necessarily prophesy events, but it prophesies the tone and the arc of your life. And how many of you know that, you, have you ever noticed that people will rise to the level of your expectations that you have for them? Yeah. Like if somebody is just kind of, if you heard over and over again throughout your, your youth, you're an underachiever, you're not smart, you're nothing, you're ugly, you're stupid. You tend to say like, oh, well, the bar for me is pretty low. I can do nothing and be everything that people wanted me to be. But if people call goodness out of you and they say, you are a leader, you are an encourager, you are a, you are a prophet, you are an evangelist, have you, have you ever noticed that you tend up living into the reality that people speak over you? 
That's what blessing does. Blessing calls us up and blessing calls us forward. So why is it so important that we bless our kids? Why is it so important that we bless our neighbors? Why is it so important that we bless our church community here at Vertical? Because here's what I've learned the hard way. If we do not discover our value and our worth and our dignity through the blessing that comes from God, then we will look for it elsewhere. We are people who are wired for validation and affirmation. And if we don't get validation and affirmation from God or the people of God, we'll chase for it in other places. And how many of you know that sometimes the pursuit of blessing outside of the goodness of God leads us down dark alleys and dead ends? See, most of the time in my life where I've gotten into trouble, it wasn't that I rolled out of bed one day and said, I'm going to do wicked, stupid things. It's that I rolled out of bed one day and I forgot that my identity and my blessing and my worth and my value comes from God and God alone. And I started hunting for it and settling for it and chasing for it from other people who could never give me what God alone can give. Jacob and Esau remind us of what happens when the pursuit of blessing goes horribly, horribly wrong. Jacob and Esau were twins. They were born to Isaac and Rebekah. Rebekah had a favorite son. How many of you had a family that played favorites growing up? Don't raise your hand. But it it, it leads to tension, right? So it it led to battle. It led to combat. It led to enmity between these two boys. And so Rebecca comes up with this scheme that she's going to disguise her younger son to look like his older brother, and he's going to steal the blessing from their father who is blind. We pick up the story in Genesis 27. Jacob went to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, I'm confused. The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He didn't recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brothers, so he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? He asked. I am, Jacob lied. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. And Jacob brought it to him and he ate. And he brought him some wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field. The Lord is blessed. And then he blessed him. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. So he's blessing him financially. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. He's blessing him with authority. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. He's blessing him with family influence. May those who curse you be cursed and may those who bless you be blessed. And after Isaac finished blessing him, Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence when his brother Esau came in from hunting. Now, this is where things get interesting. He, too, prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, my father, please sit up and and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father, Isaac, asked him, who are you? I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him. And indeed, he will be blessed. And when Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, me too, my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. And Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? In that culture, it was a synonym for deceiver. This is the second time he's taken advantage of me. He took my birthright. Now he's taking my blessing. 
Then he asked, have you reserved any blessing for me? Is there, is there, like, is there a drop left in the blessing tank for Esau? Isaac answered Esau, I made him lord over you and made all of his relatives his servants. I've sustained him with grain and new wine, so what can I possibly do for you? And Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, dad? Bless me too, father. And then one of the most heartbreaking words in all scripture is this line. It says, then Esau wept aloud. His heart is breaking. Why? Because the one blessing that he needed, he can't get. You ever had that? Have you ever had one of those moments? Whether it was a job or a relationship or a moment or a financial opportunity that you were convinced that if that one last piece fell into place, your life would be all that you wanted it to be. And you couldn't get it or somebody thwarted your plan or somebody chose to withhold that one thing that you thought that you needed to feel like you mattered. His father Isaac answered him, your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. And Esau held a grudge against Jacob because the blessing of his father had given him. And he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. The loss of blessing leads to such great heartache that it can create chaos in family systems, can it? And that heartbreak, that envy can lead somebody to a murderous rage. And there has been a trail of wreckage in so many lives when somebody didn't get the blessing that they thought that they needed to be whole. Somewhere along the way, Rebecca and Jacob and Esau lost sight of the fact that Isaac is not the ultimate blessing giver. God is the giver of blessing. And if we look to somebody other than, less than, outside of God to be blessing, our hearts will be forever broken. We will be constantly disappointed. The problem with Isaac's blessing is that it was finite. There was a limit to how much he could give. It was permanent. It couldn't be changed, edited, or withdrawn. It was exclusive. Only one person could get it. And because that blessing was so fragile, it was so rare, Rebekah schemes for it, Jacob deceives for it, and Esau weeps for it. But now fast forward a generation. Jacob, who has seen this whole blessing process break down, tries to get it right. And he blesses each of his 12 sons at the end of his life. In Genesis 49, he says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your father's son will bow down to you. Then he says, Naphtali is a doe set free that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. He's got these poetic, beautiful descriptions about who his sons are and, and who they will still become. In Genesis 49, 28, the writer says, All of these 12 tribes of Israel, these are what their father said to them when he blessed them, giving each the blessing appropriate to him. So I want to ask you this question. So what does that look like? If we know that the blessing matters, and if we know that not getting the blessing can derail us, then what, then what do we do? How, do? how do we move forward? What, what can it look like to live our lives like people of blessing? Well, the Jewish community has a tradition that every Friday night when they gather together for Sabbath, they call it Shabbat, they bless one another on purpose. 
I have a friend, uh, Rabbi Josh, and he goes, hey, Steve, uh, you know I love you. He's like, but you Protestant Christians have it all wrong. He goes, you celebrate mothers and wives like once a year, maybe twice a year, like anniversary and Mother's Day. He's like, we do it every single Friday night. You guys need to get your act together. <laughs> so Proverbs 31, which has this like amazing, glowing blessing for wives and mothers. Do you know how often that's read over Jewish women? Every, once a week, every single Friday night. A family doesn't go a whole week without publicly blessing wives and moms. Dads, take note. Do you think that changes how a family views and honors a mom? When every single week there is a public blessing that is prayed over here, or it's kind of hardwired into their psyche that they thank and they bless and they honor moms? And they do it for kids as well. Every Friday night, children are blessed. For the girls, they hear this prayer that says, may God make you like Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. They're calling them back to like women of faith. And they go, boys, may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. And for all of you children, may God bless you and keep you. May God's light shine upon you. May God be gracious to you. May you feel God's presence within you and always, and may you find peace. How, how often do I need to be reminded that God wants his light to shine on me and lead me into peace? Every single day. And the blessing of God as voiced through the blessing of God's people anchors us in what is right and what is true and what is healthy and what is good. Amen. A friend and mentor of mine, Brad Griffin, wrote, he's written a series of books uh, on parenting, and he says, if you're struggling to pray for your kids, whether they're 2 or 29, he goes, just let me offer this. Just, just pray these two things. Pray that they know that they're loved and pray that they know that they're never alone. Pray that they know that they're loved and that they're never alone. And this is a prayer that I, I grew up with a lot of great intercessors. And sometimes when people told me to pray for my kids, I would get intimidated because I was like, I don't even know where to start. If you don't know where to start, just do that. When you're tucking your kids in a, to bed at night, just say their name and say, God, pray that they would know that they're loved and pray that they would know that they're never alone. Because what does that do? It seeds in a child's mind that the foundation of their relationship with God is what? It's God's delight, and it's God's confidence, and it's God's love for them. I don't know about you, but I have had two different kinds of coaches, teachers, bosses, and parents. People who will drive you with shame and fear, and people who will drive you with love and confidence. Who do you end up performing better for over the long run? The people who give you love and confidence. Because here's, here's what I've learned. Shame and fear are a very effective motivator for a short term. They work until I'm not afraid of you anymore. And then when I, once I start resenting you, you don't have any power over me. So what is the greatest gift that we can give to lead and influence and shape the people around us? Love, blessing, love, blessing. And that's where I often fall short. Because when I'm not, when I'm not operating out of a place of confidence, I tend to heap my shame and project my inadequacy onto other people. I say, like, I'm falling short. You're falling short. Let's all feel bad about falling short together. <laughs> how, how, how well does that go over? Not great. But if we say God loves us, God is for us, God wants more for us than we have settled for, let's figure out what that next step looks like. Now, now life is a joy. Life is an adventure. We can take that next step together. So I was dropping my daughter Grace off at college just a couple weeks ago. We were taking her to downtown Detroit where she's in art school, and I was just, just trying to let her know, hey, Grace, know that you're loved and that you're not alone. Know that you're loved and that you're not alone. 
And what I love about her, she's like my firstborn. And like when she has routines that she likes, she never strays from them. And when she was at home, even until the day that she turned 18, she had me tuck her into bed every single night. It's not, that's not the case for my 16-year-old. I'll tell you that right now. But for my 18-year-old, like she's like, that's, that's something I like. It is comforting to me. And ever since she's been away at college, she'll call me right before she goes to bed, which is sometimes after I'm already in bed. I wish she would get on my schedule. But she'll call me. And I pick up. Why? Because what does she want to hear? She wants me to pray over her and let her know that she's loved and that she's not alone. A lot of times I get, I was, I was terrified when Grace went off to college because I was like, this is, at least in theory, this is where kids get wild and they make crazy life choices. Unless what? Unless they are anchored to what they know is true about God and themselves. So if we're tempted to find our identity in anything outside of Christ, we'll forget that we're loved and we'll think that we need to grab community wherever we can find it. But if we know what God says is true, then that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. That's enough. So I was telling John earlier that my three, three years ago, my father passed away. And one of the last moments that he was conscious was on, father, was on Father's Day, 2019. And my brother was in Boston. He couldn't get into town. But the rest of us got to this hospital bed in suburban Chicago. And we held his, held his hand. And we said, Dad, we just want to say back to you the thing that you always said to us. You're loved, and you're not alone. And as you, you stare down death itself, know this, God promises to hold your right hand and walk you to the other side of eternity. You don't have to be afraid. Blessing anchors people in truth and in dignity and in hope. So you might be asking, okay, so what does that mean? How exactly do I live that out? Like, where do, where do I go next? And I just want to remind you that we cannot give away what we don't have. When it comes to discipling, when it comes to ministering, when it comes to serving, we can't give away what we don't have. So the first step that some of us need to take is we need to receive the blessing that God is giving us. St. Augustine said that God gives where he finds open hands. So literally, what you might need to do in your next prayer moment is open up your hands. Some of you, you can do this right now if you want. So open up your hands and open both of them palms up on your lap and say, God, if there is a gift that you want to give, I want to receive it. Because it could be that some of you have never, ever heard God say, I see you, I love you, and I delight in you. And if you've never heard it, today is a great day to receive that gift. The prophet says this. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves you. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. He will rejoice over you with singing. When was the last time you closed your eyes and imagined God singing a lullaby over you? Kelly and I were the first, my wife Kelly and I were the first in our friend group to have a child. A lot of our friends are like, dude, you guys are boring as junk. We never get to see you anymore. Like, what do you do on Friday nights? And I was like, okay, check this. This is what we do. We take our daughter, we put her in her pajamas, and we put her in her crib. And then we leave, and we wait for her to fall asleep, and then we come back in. And then we stand at the rail of her crib, and we watch her breathe. And they're like, you guys are so weird. <laughs> And we're like, no, you wait. How many of you are parents, you've done this, and you're like, that is some of the most magical moments I've ever spent in my life. She's just watching her tiny little chest like rise and fall, rise and fall. And we just look at each other with wonder, and we're like, she's amazing. 
Have you ever thought that on your worst day, on your worst day, with your, your soul empty and your heart breaking, whether you're feeling failure or rejection or disappointment, just tears streaming off of your face, staining your pillow. Have you ever stopped to consider that the creator of the universe stands over your room and calls together saints and angels and say, look at this one. She's amazing. Not because of what she does or has done or hasn't done or might do, but simply because she's mine. Or God says, you see this guy right here? He doesn't, he, he doesn't know where the mortgage is going to come from next month. And his identity and confidence are racked to the core. And we're going to sing a song over him to remind him that all of heaven sees him, knows his name, and delights in him. How might our lives be different if we received the song God sings over us every single day? What would be, di what would be different then? What would we care about and not care about? What would we hold on to? What would we release? How would we see one another and see the challenges and see the world ahead of us if we stood on top of a foundation that says, I am loved by God in him. I am enough. And all of the parts that are broken, he is actively redeeming. My only job is to bend my will to his. It could be the only thing you need to do today is to receive that blessing. Or it could be that God is calling you to give that blessing. So who is it in your life or in your home who needs to be reminded that they're loved? What rhythms or traditions could you build into your week so that if it's not every day, maybe it's at least every week where every person who lives under your roof is blessed? Or it could be that there are people who don't live under your roof. Or it could be that there are people that you're no longer in relationship with, but you need to know that they need to know that God is blessing them. Maybe just set a reminder on your phone, on your way to church, or on your way from church, or maybe during worship at church, you say, God, will you remind them that they are loved and that they're not alone? So receive the blessing. Give the blessing to the people that you love. And then finally, and this is the hard part, is give the blessing to the people who have cursed you. Jesus wasn't kidding or he wasn't suggesting that we bless those who curse us. He was commanding it. Why? Because they deserve blessing? No. But because why? Because God blessed us when our behavior was unblessable. God laid down his life for us when we were actively postured against him. And if God showed grace and compassion and kindness and goodness, if God blessed us even when we were hostile towards him, then it is our privilege and it's an extension of the gospel for us to bless people who have wanted to harm us and people who have done us wrong. So know this, when you bless somebody who has harmed you, 
you are working towards mastery over malice. You are choosing encouragement over envy. And you are choosing victory over viciousness. That's your choice. You, you, get, you get to make that. But here's what I'm finding. When I bless people who harm me, whether they've done it in the distance past or whether they're actively doing it now, God gives me a lens to see that person in an entirely different light. God reminds me that if I'm loved and I'm not alone, then that person is loved and not alone. And it's my job to come alongside them and let them know that maybe God wants more for them than what they've settled for. Spiritual maturity means moving from a posture where we want God to destroy our enemies to the point where we want God to transform our enemies. And it could be that one of the levers that God uses to transform our enemies is our words of encouragement and life. So let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you are gracious and kind and merciful. We thank you that the words that you speak to us and over us and for us are words of life, are words of beauty, are words of peace and wonder. And God, for those of us who might be feeling like we're swallowing glass today, I just pray that you would reach in and remove anything that feels like a curse and speak life and speak life and speak life. And Lord, the people in our lives who are feeling overwhelmed or disoriented or confused or unmoored from your truth or your calling, allow us to speak blessing to. Allow us to remind them that it's your kindness that woos us back to you when we've lost our way. It is your mercy that prompts us towards repentance, not any fear of your judgment or wrath or rage. So Lord, allow us to receive blessing, allow us to give it away, and allow us to speak it over those who have done us wrong. Because in so doing, we point everybody back to the Christ who has been crucified and risen for your glory and our good. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.